Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Literacy View. Uh, this is our <laughs> Valentine's Day special. We're all in pink. <laughs> and uh, we're going to share the love with you. And we have a special person with us today, someone we love, Dr. Maureen Ruby. We had Dr. Ruby on once before. And when Judy and I decided to look at this article, we said we have to get Maureen back on the show. It was instant. Faith said in an instant. That's it. And then actually I uh I said, Faith, should we have a couple of other people talking about different things? She said, no, this is part one. We need the one and only Maureen. <laughs> That's right. That is that really happened, right, Faith? That's yes. I said first we need Maureen to kind of set everything straight and then we'll bring people on to discuss some of the finer details. So the article came out, um, it was from the National Council on Teacher Quality, and it's called Five Policy Actions to Strengthen Implementation of the Science of Reading. And it came out January, 2024. And Maureen is certainly qualified to discuss this. As we said on one of our other episodes, um, Dr. Maureen Ruby was a dentist turned educator. And so uh, she is um, very knowledgeable. She right now holds the Isabel Farrington Endowed Chair in Social, Emotional and Academic Leadership in the Farrington College of Education and Human Development at Sacred Heart University. Uh, an associate professor, Ruby is a dentist turned educator who represented the North Brantford Public Schools as the 2000 Teacher of the Year and was a Connecticut State Teacher of the Year semifinalist. Uh, Maureen has worked at the elementary, middle, and secondary levels as a classroom teacher and reading consultant. And the list goes on. I mean, she has done so many different things. I met Maureen during my reading first years, and I was a regional literacy coach during reading first, and we brought Maureen in as one of our presenters and speakers. And once you get to know Maureen and you, you see her um, in-depth knowledge and her love of what she does. She, um, her son had has dyslexia and that's what brought her into the field in the first place. And she just really knows about everything and she could explain it. So, <laughs> so um, Maureen, I'm gonna throw out the first question to you. There are, five policy points here, five policy actions. And the article says that when all of these are brought together, um, the, the, uh, the point is that teachers should be then well prepared to teach and it should be aligned to the science of reading and they would be ready to implement basically any program that's given to them if they have that background knowledge, that teacher mm -hmm. knowledge. So we were just talking about this. Could you tell us a little bit about what you think out of all these points, and we'll go into all of them, mm -hmm. is the most important point here and why? 
Yeah, that's probably the easiest question you could ask. Um, so, you know, there are five points, as you said, and the most important factor in student achievement is the quality of the teacher. It's the teacher. Cheers. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You're not going to push the button because. Okay. No, so, the okay, good, good. So this is, this is. That bullshit, but now we have the cheers and the bullshit. <laughs> right. I should have brought champagne. Um, so this isn't my opinion. You know, there are many papers that have been written over many years. Okay. Back in the 90s, um, there were a, a there was a consensus of the literature in terms of this this central value of of the teacher in with regard to student outcomes. And so the uh, the the role that teacher prep pays plays in how students do in school cannot be underestimated. And we have people coming, hopefully still coming into the profession who absolutely need us to have the highest quality of teacher preparation. Because if you're a highly qualified teacher, if you have, when we're talking about reading, but it applies to the other disciplines as well, when you understand the um, the science behind whatever it is you're teaching, so the science of reading, and you understand about pedagogy, I'm going to have to throw in that you understand the role of neuroscience in teaching and learning and assessment. So you understand how to develop relationships with students. All of those things are critically important to what happens with student outcomes. And it's not whatever box of stuff that you have that your school districts gives you. That is not a magic bullet. If we have teachers who we haven't appropriately prepared and supported and respected as professionals, uh, and we give them one of the boxes of stuff that somebody approved, that is not a guarantee that things are going to work out for students. Please However, share, before we get to Judy, please share that little quote. Oh, okay. So, so I wish that I could tell you who this woman Lola May is, but I went to, you know, some kind of PD or in-service a long time ago. This was before you could take pictures of the screens with your camera. I wrote it down and it, the slide said this, it's a quote by Lola May. It said, there are three things that you need to know as a teacher. You need to know your stuff. Okay. So that's what we, that teacher prep is the beginning of that. You need to know whom you're stuffing. So I could go off on a tangent about everything about SEL and relationships and the limbic system in the brain and, and you know, uh, trauma that interfere. I, you need to have relationships with your students. And the third thing is you need to stuff them elegantly. So that's the pedagogy. That's the art and science of teaching. That's differentiation. So you need to know your stuff. You need to know whom you're stuffing. And then you need to stuff them elegantly. 
and she there's nothing about a box of stuff in there there's no box of stuff right right i didn't hear you i said and i think we would like to tell some people to go stuff it (laughs) (laughs) so the stuff the stuff that isn't in that quote is the box of stuff right okay however if you if we if we prepare teachers and we're not done just because we went to a teacher prep program, we're just beginning, right? Mm-hmm. And then, and we have to have something to build on. So when school districts provide us with professional development, if we don't have the foundations, that's like laying um, really good materials on, a, you know, if you're building a house when there's no foundation, it's not going to work. Um, and, so, and so if if we prepare teachers, if we respect them as professionals, and we we have, you know, I'm looking at these, we have specific detailed reading standards, agreed upon intentional standards that are current, not what we always used to do um, for teacher prep programs. That's the kernel that we need to start from. And over time, we could give a, a, a highly qualified, well-prepared teacher any box of stuff because if the school district has a curriculum, curriculum and stuff, aka programs, are not the same. Yes. The so, st- yeah, I'm going to stop you right there. So this is something that Judy and I have been talking about. And so we keep hearing, Judy, <clears throat> about um, the curriculum changes. But really what they're talking about now are just program changes. It's, it's, I don't really see that they're really focused on curriculum. Everything we're seeing now is pushing certain programs or there are three programs to choose from, but they're calling it curriculum. And so it's like, who, you know, Who's driving the car here? Like, what's happening? Is the car driving? Is it backwards? I I feel like everything is a little bit backwards. We're focused on the program, but we're not really paying attention to the curriculum. We're saying that the program could do all the work. That's how I'm looking at it. So, do you share what we meet? When we say program and curriculum for our listeners, what are you saying? So a curriculum is something that a school district develops. Okay. And it really needs to be uh, in considering when you do, when you develop a, a curriculum, you need to consider the context. Like who are the students who you are um, supporting? Uh-huh. And so, and what kind of information do you have about them? What, where, where are you? You are, and so you develop the curriculum based on standards. Okay. And then you, so if, if you think about understand, um, understanding by design, UBD. Yeah. When you start to develop a curriculum, you have to ask yourself a, 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 the first question. And the question isn't what activities will we do? That is not the question. And unfortunately, um, some teachers, I'll admit, I I was uh, trained to think about what were all the activities that we were going to do, what was going to be fun and engaging and on and on. But the question that we should ask first is, 
what are our desired outcomes? I, this isn't me making this up. This is uh, Grant Wiggins, who's no longer with us, Jane Tig, and lots of other researchers. So what are our desired outcomes? I like to think of this like a GPS, right? So if you have a GPS, it's not going to tell you where you're going to go. You have to know where you want to go to put that information into the GPS. So when, you, when you're going to develop a curriculum document, you need to know what, where you're going to go. What are your desired outcomes for the students? So, so I want to stop you. Do you see any of that happening? All I'm seeing right now, what I don't hear Faith, you. Faith, you're not throwing me under the bus that I'm going to be like, Given my I'm not throwing. I'm not throwing you under the bus. I'm. I'm really saying. Dude. If I'm going to be honest with you, so that was very interesting. What Maureen said. I don't fully understand what that document would look like. The curriculum guide. I mean, I've seen examples of it when I first started teaching. It looked like month by month what we knew we were going to cover. What was the priorities? Haven't seen documents like that in a long time. Right now in the field. Um, and not just at my school, just hearing from friends and so forth. I see a lot of schools have now been mandated to choose a curriculum. What's being said is a curriculum. People aren't really using the word program. Schools are selecting a curriculum and they're really trying to a stick to program fidelity. So maybe I am hearing program a little bit. And I think that people are over relying or assuming that everything in those programs or curricula are research and evidence-based where I don't think a lot of those tasks have been field tested and so forth. And it makes me just constantly think about the episode where we had Maureen on and I keep phrasing Maureen every day. I, 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 I throw out a Maureen phrase. I remind my teachers and my staff, the curriculum is just a tool. You need to build your knowledge. You need to understand. So whatever we're working with, there's no perfect program. There's no pro perfect curriculum tool. They're still going to take a lot of training for you to fully understand the science and the what and the why. Why are we do? What are we doing? Why are we doing this? And how is it going to help kids? I think there's probably a lot of work to do. Even I'm confused a little bit now, Maureen and Faith, on yeah. the difference between, you know, it's it it kind of sounds like the opposite of what we I saw schools doing before. Before this all happened, where schools were kind of mandated to choose a quote-unquote curriculum, mm -hmm. select one. I saw some schools developing their own curriculum, and that was a nightmare. Um, there were do-it-yourself models where teachers were just looking at the standards and they were just writing a curricula. And a lot of it was shit. <laughs> And it was terrifying to me. So now I thought, oh, my God, the world is moving in this great direction. Things are going to get a lot better. Finally, we're going to level the playing field. Doesn't matter what zip code you're in. Everybody's going to have a research and evidence-based curriculum. And then I walk into classrooms and I see these tasks that are happening. And I'm, I'm like, 
WTF. <laughs> <laughs> so Maureen, comment. It makes you think, so, it makes you think, are we being sold another story by publishing companies uh, putting on the SOR sticker on these boxes and programs? And then people are like, uh, it's evidence-based, but then principals are walking in and seeing these lessons and they're like, uh, your, your learning target wasn't connected to the standard and your task, uh, it's a mess. So, so let me, let me just back this up a bit. So I call to, to because the vocabulary is confusing when we misuse terms. Okay. So a, a curriculum document is something that a school district should be developing. A curriculum okay. document is like a, um, a blueprint for right. what is going to be uh, guaranteed that students are going to get this. And, and, it, I, st- I, and I, it starts I, with, it starts. A, yeah. I saw that a long time ago when I started my career and that was like kind of give it to me. And it was my Bible. I knew when I closed my door, this is the stuff that I knew the stuff that I knew had to be covered and covered well, but I so, haven't seen stuff like that yeah, in a long so, time. More than the stuff that has to be covered. It, the first thing, like I, I previously said, is we we determine what it is for an individual uh, year long uh, reading uh, grade. Like, what are we going to do for the year in kindergarten, mm-hmm. first grade, second grade? Because we're working with a grade system. Right. What are the exp- what are the desired outcomes at the end of the year? And then we work backwards. And, mm-hmm. and because we have standards, whether you like them or you don't like them, you know, we all have our opinion, you have to address the standards. And so you map that out. And the, the next thing you need to ask yourself is not, what am I going to do? It's how am I going to know when I've achieved those desired outcomes? So what am I going to do to make sure that the students know whatever it is you said they want to know? So that's how are you going to assess that? And this isn't about standardized tests. And it might not even be about tests. It might be, what am I going to observe? What are students going to do? Because we don't always need to give a test. There's all, many, many ways of assessing you know, what students need to know and be able to do. So then the last part of it is, if I know what it is the desired outcome is, and I know how I'm going to be able to tell that the, that the students achieved it, what do I have to do? to support students in learning to do X. That's the last part. So now the curriculum is that that's the curriculum. The curriculum tool is the box of stuff that you might buy from uh, from a a, um, vendor. Now, I said the last time we met, and I say it every single day, that there is no perfect program. There isn't. And we shouldn't expect that. And we really don't need to beat people up because they didn't produce one because there's nothing that's perfect. Okay. But if you, if you understand, we're talking about reading the science of reading and you understand pedagogy and you understand assessment and you understand kids, then you could, you have your curriculum in the curriculum, you put links or whatever, whatever. You could be using a an online platform. You could be using Google Docs, whatever. You are looking at that tool 
that pro program that you purchased to see how it maps and aligns to what it is you say you, you wanted to do. Now, that's why, can I just say this, Faith? When I, we've all had this experience as teachers where uh, we get a program that the school bought and we get it in our room, we look at it and we're like, oh my God, there's no way I can ever do all this stuff. But you're not supposed to do all this stuff. If they, you get, oh my God, Faith, where's your cheers button? Where? <laughs> so if, if, if you get, if you get a screwdriver, you know the kind of screwdrivers where you can un you can unscrew the top and you can put all these different you know heads. I don't have to know the right terms, but heads into it. Um, when you get a screwdriver and you need to put something together, you don't say, "Oh my God, I have to use every single one of these." No, you don't. You only need the one that that does the job. You only need the one that does the job. Okay, and so I'm going to stop you for a second. So you said that it shouldn't matter. But let's go back to like a Lucy Calkins. Oh, I was saying that I was saying that in a very idealistic way. So yeah. I was okay. thinking the same thing. So, oh my okay. God. So now you could have what you need to teach and then look at the tools and then you would see queuing and all this other stuff. You could pretty much take the whole thing and toss it. So for example I'm going to take a sip. You mentioned yeah. Lucy. Yeah. I didn't <laughs> so, so I'm going to give you an example. So I was in a district where before I got there, they had adopted the units of study. Yeah. And I, I'll admit I, my heart sank when I, you know, because it was going to be a lot of work, a lot of uphill work. And one of the, you know, you talk to people and you ask them what they're doing. And I said, how are you teaching the foundational um, standards? And in one school, they said they were using foundations. And I was like, well, you know, foundations is a good program, but it, it, it how does it align? Everything has to align. And then the right. other school, they said, which was an upper elementary school, they said, oh, we're not really teaching that. And I you know what? Y you work from where you are. I said, great. Now, at least we know what we have to do. And right. so we needed to, we needed to. We need to fill that fill that gap in. Now we still have the units of study, and you know I think it's in kindergarten where they wear the magic capes and they do all that magical stuff. I said, "There's no capes. There's no magical stuff. We're not. We're just like that is not happening." And so you cut no it out. Okay? That. You what is that in kindergarten? Right? Don't they have like some kind of magical thing that happens and they just magically superpowers? Made superpowers that's what it is. So we're not doing that. There are no superpowers. We're gonna we're gonna learn how to read. So so, so you cut that stuff out, and it in. So now let let's think about some of. I'm not gonna name any programs, but I happen to have a a, a relative who's very close to my heart, who's five, and is in a school that um uh, is piloting a program that I personally wouldn't have picked. Um, there are no perfect programs. If they had a curriculum, and I don't know what they do because I don't tread there, just try to work my magic on the outside. Um, and if they have, if they're going to use that, that particular program and they have a curriculum, then any place where there's the queuing or where there's this book in kindergarten where, you know, it's like, this is red, that is red, the other thing is red. And they're asking kids to use the initial letter 
to draw a line from a word that they could never decode with their life dependent on it in kindergarten the first month and draw it to a picture. If I was in charge of curriculum there, I'd say, we are not using that book and we are not doing that activity because it doesn't fit any place in our curriculum. Okay. So this people are probably saying, oh my gosh, that's a lot of work. One of the reasons that people want to use these programs is because it seems a lot easier to just buy a program and make believe that that's a curriculum. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So exactly. So here's my point. Everywhere, the conversation is about the program. Everywhere, whether it's into reading or um, EL or wit and wisdom or CK, LA, whatever it is, it's all about a program right now. And I'm wondering, do they just expect that the program is enough? You get the program and the box has it all. And it's just about delivering this. And then they feel like that's the curriculum. But that's the message that's coming out from these curriculum experts. I kid you not, Maureen. I think so, too. I think that's what it is. These um, influencers, I don't know what you would call them, on social media. And they talk about curriculum with program, like in the same breath, like it's the same exact thing. And I don't Um, think that these school districts are getting the programs and going through it with a fine tooth comb and seeing what doesn't work and what, you know, taught. taught, I don't think they're there yet. I think right now people have gotten these programs and they're going through each box or each lesson thinking, okay, we got to see, you know, how it goes. And then I think maybe, and this is just a guess, that they'll start making more of those instructional decisions later, like we could cut this or we could spend more time. I think, you know, it's kind of scary being in the field because it's like in K to two, sometimes I'm like, I just want to gasp. There's so many different skills being covered in some of these programs Today, you're doing point of view. Today, you're doing third point person point of view. Some of these kids don't know their letters and sounds. And we know knowledge building is important. But I think that, you know, sometimes it makes you wonder, is all of this necessary? Do we have to do each lesson in the knowledge building portion of our curriculum? Is it supposed to be a 50-50 split of 50% of your time is working on the foundational skills portion of your literacy block and 50% is spent on that knowledge building piece where you're thinking about things like point of view and um, central idea in K-2? It's kind of confusing to schools and it's like I almost felt like, you know, going into a PD and saying, hey, you know, kids are learning how to read. Does it have to be a 50-50 split? Can it be like we're allocating 60% of our time if our data is saying that the kids are struggling, you know, with the application piece of reading? But it's confusing to schools. I think schools are right now not getting a lot of support. Okay, they cut coaches uh, in New York City. So a lot of principals hired coaches. Some, some schools have no coach. 
we we are kind of what are, what is it called when you're building a bridge while you what's that phrase guys oh you yeah. a plane while you're flying it that's yeah okay yeah. that's what it kind of feels like and it's you know that's, even, that's what it is like <laughs> that's why it feels that way you know i'm embarrassed to say it but i'm gonna say it on the air when you and faith were going back and forth about program versus curriculum I almost felt like, you know, behind closed doors, I want to get deeper into that conversation with you guys, because maybe I'm using the term incorrectly, or maybe I need to think more about, you know, what you were saying, Maureen, about that document that you guys do. You know, I know you were a superintendent. What does that document look like? Who's developing it? Is it being shared with everybody? I, I mean, in schools that I work in now, I'm seeing people are unpacking units. So that's, is that part of what you're saying? They're unpacking units. They're looking at the assessment and then doing backwards design with that. But it doesn't feel like it's an organically natural process yet that really like like that we all have a clear vision of what the outcomes. So, Judy, be. not to blow your mind, but think about this. OK. If you had a curric if you developed a curriculum document. I'm dying and, to. Okay. And and it takes a long time. This isn't something that's done overnight. When and you say long time, what does that mean? Could take um a couple of years. Oh. Okay. okay. I mean it's not intensive like work. It's not like it's not like throw a bunch of teachers and not give them training into a room in the summer and tell them to go at it. That's not what I'm talking about. So okay. so listen to this. If you develop a curriculum, let's say you develop a first grade reading curriculum. Oh, you would have to develop it sequentially so everything aligns. Right. And and so so you know what your outcomes are, you know, how you're going to measure them, you know, um, how you're going to plan the instruction. And then the other part is what are the tools that you're going to use? What are you going to give teachers to use? If you have that document and let's say you were using the Winky Dinky um, program. Okay. Whatever that is. And so you had winky dinky, this part of it all throughout the, the document. And then two years later, somebody says, you know what? Can't use that program anymore. It's not being published. We can't get the materials. Now, now we've looked at it and we're going to use the wonky donkey program. Okay. Now all you need to do is go through that, uh, make the alignment between the wonky donkey program and your curriculum. You're going to replace because it's a tool. Okay. It's a tool. Look, and this is not your CP. This is not the CP that the schools have. The comprehensive it, educational plan. I'm not really sure what that, that term. Faith, you've that heard term. about. Yeah, well, that's when districts kind of decide they want to keep what isn't evidence-based and they tie it in with something they heard and they come up with a comprehensive literacy plan that's just a mess because- So that's not the curriculum tool that Maureen's referring no, to. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's something that's fabricated by certain districts that where they have something that they were using a balanced literacy framework and then they kind of, plug in something using cps right now faith i think schools are still using cps right now with with the new sor stuff and now making changes to it um i'm looking online it says the cp includes the goals and strategies of a specific school for that year 
So that's why I thought maybe that's the tool. Maybe it's hoping- like maybe it's like a strategic plan, which would be different. I'm not really sure. I'm not so familiar with that. I'm not familiar so with you that know term. What it is, Maureen, I'm kind of like hope like I guess there's a learning curve for me here. I'm definitely not an admin. I'm definitely not working at the district office. I'm just at the school level supporting teachers as a coach. And I, Judy, you're you're an intelligent, lifelong learner, and I'd be happy to recommend a a a book that would, in terms of curriculum, that would like make it crystal clear to you. Oh my god, I can't wait! Yeah, and absolutely. Hopefully, well, if you give us the name, we'll put it in the show notes. I will definitely, I will definitely send you some some resources on that. And and another thing that I, I, you know, one of the things that you see in um, a lot of curricular tools, a lot of programs, is they provide, you know, pre-teaching, teaching, reteaching, ELs, this, that, and the other thing, and that those are all wonderful. But we need to support teachers to know when to use what and with whom. Okay, you need to know your stuff. You need to know whom you're stuffing and you need to stuff them elegantly. And so one of the things that I would say, which is a personal bias, being a certified special education um, teacher, is that think about think about yourself. Okay, if everybody who's listening to this thinks about themselves as a learner. And let's say you are struggling with something. It doesn't have to be academics. It could be like you're going to a basket weaving course. You're, you want to make baskets. And you're and there's something that you have trouble with. So picture your little guy in um in, in a, a, a second grade classroom and they are struggling with something in literacy. Um and so the lesson, the lesson goes on for, for all the students. It's a whole group lesson. And while that your child is sitting there, they're not getting it, right? And so, but we're don't worry, just sit there and be like not on the same page as everybody else. And then we're going to have you go with somebody else for some reteaching. Like I am a proponent of Judy, I'm going to pick on you. So I know Judy has, you know, is is working through a lot of this stuff. She had some uh, difficulties learning. Maybe she's an English language learner. I don't know. But instead of having her sit in my class during a whole group lesson, you know, even if it's short and, you know, 10 minutes and not knowing what to do, I'm going to use that pre-teaching um, part. And I'm going to see her either before the whole group lesson or maybe the day before, or maybe um, a, a, another staff support person could go over things with her. And I'm going to say, Judy, when we all get together, this is what we're going to be talking about. And I'm going to show it to her. And I'm going to, and then I'm always going to give her something because I, I want her to be able to access the instruction and feel like she's competent instead of sitting there feeling like the world is caving in and her brain shuts down because it's trauma. And I so say, that goes you know, back to teacher knowledge. Yes. So and here we go right back, back again. to it. Right. And then I'm going to say, and Judy, I'm going to ask you this question and I'm going to go over it with her. Okay. Now we go to class and it unfolds and she's, She's following and I'm watching her and I'm giving her, you know, body language signals. And I would do that for the other kids because there are other one, other children in the class and she's comfortable. And so when you're not comfortable, your brain goes into fight, flight or uh, fight or freeze. OK, and it's usually with little kids freeze. And when you freeze, you're not nothing is coming in. You're not accessing you know, the information that's coming in. And so they're not getting anything out of it. 
But when I've lowered that threshold of, of stress and it's familiar, so there, you know, so the file is opening up and she's able to latch on to what I'm saying. And then I ask a question and I've already prepped her for this. And she, and I go, Judy, and she gives the answer. And like, you can feel it in the room. Her peers are like, wow, that was great. You know, even if they don't say it, you can feel it. And now she's got confidence. So that's the teachers need to understand the neuroscience of learning and understand the curriculum, the SOR, in order to be able to use those tools. And, you know, there are many of the programs that are have been adopted by um, by by districts across my state, your state, and other states that are not perfect. If you're looking for perfect, forget it. You're not going to find it. But that are that do have SOR in there, and if you're knowledgeable and you you see stuff that isn't aligned with the research that just kind of stayed or no, but somebody missed or whatever, you recognize that, and it doesn't fit in with your curriculum. You're not going to be teaching that, and I think that we have to if if we prepare our teachers and, and and we we have respect for the teachers as experts and we treat them that way in terms of how we how we um, provide PD and we're not everything isn't wham bam thank you ma'am kind of cramming like 10 pounds of potatoes in terms of time into a five pound bag of time like you, you can't you, you can't do you can't do it uh, teachers will be able to collectively you build collective efficacy they believe in themselves they trust each other and they work through these problems the other thing is they need to have a leader they need to have a leader who knows what's going on that's not what's happening maureen i know i say it's not happening maybe certain schools maybe certain districts i'm talking about the overall tone, if you were to just listen to the conversations. So right now, people are out there saying, okay, write in to us about this program, that program. What do you think of this program? Um, why is this program? Yeah, social media is exploding. I mean, every group Faith and I go on, people are just asking questions and people are starting to see that there are holes in curriculum and people are now in the programs, holes in the programs. I a hundred percent agree. A hundred percent agree. And you know what else breaks my heart is because I belong to almost every, you know, state reading group that there is. I mean, it's, it's a wealth of information, but what breaks my heart is when some of the questions that teachers are writing in, like, I'm I'm trying to teach this. Does anybody have any of that? It's like, oh my goodness. Well, how did we get to a place where teachers are depending on people they don't even know out on the internet for their resources to teach? That there's something really wrong with that. That teachers are going to Facebook groups and saying, I have to teach X, a kid with XYZ. Does anybody have anything? Like, does that bother you at all? It bothers me. What about um? It bothers me and it doesn't bother me. But I think what about teachers pay teachers? Yeah, I don't use that one. No, but but I'm saying, but people go and they they pull a lesson off of there or some other stuff, 
just to satisfy uh, something at the moment. I think I think teachers are frustrated, Faith and Maureen. I think they're frustrated because if you depend on these boxed programs, you're going to see tasks that students may struggle with. You're overwhelmed. You have to take care of your family. You have to possibly, you know, work out, go to the gym, eat breakfast. And now you have to think about that task and think, okay, what is the standard? And how do I make a task that kids can actually But do? it shouldn't be left to the teacher but by that's all for himself. That it shouldn't be like that. But it's in every school because every lesson... The curriculum companies are including tasks. If you and I told you, Faith, I want to do an episode on tasks because when you see some of them, they're a horror. And now, you know, teachers just want to do the right thing. They want to be able to say, okay, this is what we're teaching you. This is how you do it. Now we're going to do it together and now have fun in the field and give it a go. When you collect those work samples, oh, it's iffy. And, you know, and then there's the question of when we're doing a lot of these knowledge building programs or whatever you call it, you know, you're getting worksheets and some of these kids can't write. So now the teachers have an extra burden. Okay. Uh what artifact am I going to have that shows that the kid understood how to find key details in the text, but the kid can't even read? Like, it's a lot to navigate. It's just a lot to navigate. I think teachers are very frustrated. And I think, you know, that's the reality. They're going to go to Facebook. They're going to go to these groups because they just want to get it right, Maureen. And I think that, you know, Teachers, generally, their intention is so good, but they're just feeling so overburdened because they're being told they need to differentiate. They need to think about all their learners. They need to think think about, you know, rigor. They need to think about the task. How do you get it right? And then, you know, is it important for kids to be working on things that are really complex, like central idea in first grade or second grade when there's so many kids that are just trying to still crack the code. I don't know. I don't have all the answers. So, and I've been in education now. This is my 26th year and I'm still in a building. I'm not just a podcaster. Right. So <laughs> we know that. So there's a couple things there. Number one, back to the teachers having you go <laughs> to, uh, to, you better have another drink of water there. Um, <laughs> we, the teachers should not be asking how to teach on Facebook. Who do you, like, who are these people that give answers? Some of the answers that I see make me shudder. Okay. <laughs> like really make me shudder. Um, I, I want to just address something that you said about, um, you know, knowledge building. And so if I'm, if I'm thinking about uh, first graders, I, I, I would have issues um, as an educator and as a parent and just as a human being, having first graders doing worksheets um, to let me know whether they know. First of all, they're not really 
in the beginning, in kindergarten and first grade, they need to be developing language comprehension so that later on, when they're reading uh, more advanced texts, they have those skills and strategies to apply. And so the, the um, I, I'm thinking that what, what I heard from you is um, developing um, comprehension um, skills and strategies. And so the type of text that they need to be um, exposed to to do that is text that a teacher would read to them. And so why do, why do they have to fill out worksheets? That can be... That's what these box programs are giving you. And that's why. And so if, if I'm looking at that and I'm working, if I'm still in a district, I would say, you know what? In our curriculum, we're going to have teachers reading. You know, we'd have our series of whatever the, the texts are that they're reading for knowledge building to, to fill their backpacks with information. Um, and I'm not going to argue about what's important and what isn't important in terms of their, their world knowledge, because that would take another three shows. But let's say I know in one of the programs, they read about God, that there's some a unit on gods and goddesses. Now, some people have said to me, why are they doing that in that grade level? Well, that's what the program developed. And if you look at their scope and sequence, they come back. There's a there's a rhyme or reason to, or I should go this way for you, a rhyme or reason to when it's introduced and when it uh, when it recurs and whatnot. And why is that important? Because when they start reading um, texts in upper grades, there are references to mythology and to that period of history. And so that's what they're trying. Where else are they going to get it if they don't get it in school? They're not going to go home and after dinner, mom isn't going to say, come into the living room so we can read about mythology. Like not happening. But here's what I think. I think the content is extremely important. And I don't think, I don't want to speak for Judy. I don't think she's talking about the content. She's talking about the task, that exactly. the, the task is inappropriate for K and one. I agree. But, but, so, but a lot of administrators want artifacts. That's been a big one in education. So then what's an, what's an artifact? So it so we have to we have to find that like what what is evidence so that's why as I said earlier we have to know what it is we want what's our desired outcome and then how are we going to know that we got there and so in if I'm doing a, a and those are in those early grades in those programs that have this type of material those are teacher read alouds okay and during the read aloud. The teacher is, you know, if you've looked at those those programs, there they stop, and they ask text dependent questions, and then they model for the students, and then there are activities that can be done. I'm going to say I'm going to reject if there was a worksheet where they're filling out these silly things. They can't even read the questions. Um, um, that I'm I'm not going to do that. I, what what authentic task? can we put in our curriculum while we're using this program that will tell us if our children got whatever it was that we were trying to teach? There are many- Here's my question to you, Maureen. I get all that and that makes complete sense to me. But I think, again, going back to Judy's question, how is the program evidence-based? Where does it get, like, how, how, this is what I want to understand. I'm trying to understand. Mm -hmm. These programs that are out there, 
Were they tested in real classrooms? Were, did, was every part of this program tested that it's going into this box and being sold as evidence-based? I need a drink. And, <laughs> that's, that's the million dollar question. So okay. I, so how, the, how, how did they get this SOR approval label? I want to understand that. Well, I think they gave it to themselves. I, so do I. So, it's a it's a rhetorical question. Right. This is what I'm trying to bring out. People don't understand. They think it's coming from like this higher source that they, you know, they bless the program. Are journalists are touting programs as being the saving grace? Yeah, that, that, that it's evident. You know what, Beef? But I did see something um, on the on a school website. I'm not going to say which state, but probably everybody could figure it out. I saw what uh, there's an explanation, like a little blurb that nobody is even reading about each program that was selected. And I know that for one of the programs, it said that it was there was a research study of the program. I don't know if there was a meta-analysis or any of that. It was studied for one year back in 2019 during COVID and that the study was done in the suburbs. And the study was discontinued after one year, but that's what they selected. Yeah. So this is so this is why it's important um, for the people that are the decision makers in a district to understand SOR, to understand how to uh, when when somebody comes to your school as a vendor with, to sell you their wares, and they say that is evidence based or whatever they or SOR whatever whatever they throw. You need to be able to ask for the evidence. Okay, so we in the program that I work in for leadership development, you know, we need to teach our our leaders this. How do you? How are you good stewards of a district's money? You're not just buying anything that somebody comes in, and and then if they say it's evidence based, you need to ask for the evidence. Oh and my you God. Need to, right. And you need to, and, and wow. if, if, if a program, if, if a program only has studies that were done by the company, that's a red flag. Okay. That's a red flag. That's because that's them. We did this. We found this. We found the other thing. I will tell you. Wasn't that, that Fontas and Pinnell? Yeah. So back in when the Common Core came out, I was in a district that adopted a program. And I'm going to tell you, strike me dead that while the teachers were get, get having the PD and they had the first teacher's manual that they were going to go through to see the lay of the land, the representative walked around, had a roll of stickers, you know, like a good student sticker. And that said, common core state said CCSS aligned and gave out a sticker for people to put on their books. Like, I was like, really? Now, this literally happened. I'm not going to name the program or the place that I was at, but mind-blowing. And I've never forgotten that. So just because there's a sticker on it that says it was common. If it was common core state standards aligned, why didn't they put that on it when they printed it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the idea is that we need, we as educators, we need to be knowledgeable consumers. And that's something that typically teachers aren't trained in. And so teachers become administrators and administrators get to make decisions. And so, and then people advance up the ladder and they become, you know, 
and this is a general, you know, just a very general statement. It's not everybody, but people become um, stakeholders in higher levels at state departments and whatnot. And so we really need to put, in my opinion, it's not going to, like you said, it's not going to happen. I can only, we need to put a stop on, on this. We need to pause and we need to rethink. I personally am concerned about our, in our rush to do good with all these programs without doing the pre-work, okay? Mm-hmm. Like I said, even if you have a, a, a program that has its glitches, if we don't do the pre-work to make sure that our teachers are well-prepared and knowledgeable and not having to run to Facebook to say, how do I teach this? Or I, I, I saw something today. It was like the short U in, in put and boot. And I was like, oh my goodness gracious. Wow. Like, what is this? Right. Um, and then some, and then people got on and were answering the question didn't make any sense and the answers didn't make any sense. And there were a variety of answers. And I was like, oh my goodness. Um, that's why so- I don't even bother. I don't even look. I used to, it make, I, I just don't even bother. Anymore. Well, I do it because I work in, in, in higher ed in you know, in teaching programs. And I want to be able to say to people like, this is, this is what you you and your colleagues are doing. And we need to rein it in. So not buying things, but piloting, you know, piloting. And if, sorry, if I don't make any friends here, but if a company really stands behind their product and they think it's so good, then let them invest in my school district and they can give me all the boxes on their nickel and let us pilot it in one or two um, classes in a, you know, Thank depending you. on how big. I'm a big fan and, of piloting something because, before you invest. And- because if they want the pilot to work, they're um, going to, they're going to support you. But once. Faith, Faith, say that again. So you, what you just supported what Ru, um, Maureen said. I, uh, I said I'm, a, I'm a big fan. Tell me more about that. Piloting something on a smaller scale before you invest. Know. Lots of money into making this the program for everyone. I think they kind of wanted it, this whole change to happen overnight. And well, that's maybe, what Maureen's saying. It's happening yeah. too quickly. It's everything is happening in in our rush to do good, as Maureen said. Is there was a sense of urgency, Faith, because like you and I know, there were so many kids right now that just can't read and it's not only in first grade or second grade we're seeing like kids in eighth grade that can't read they've gone through the system for so long so I think the intentions might have been really good but yeah maybe it was just all and that goes back to what Maureen said about the difference between curriculum and program get your curriculum at least have a mindset about what you need to teach and I've said this before at presentations I've given, that it's not the program, it's the process. Understanding the process. Understanding so I think that's, that's an area that schools might need a little bit of support with. Like even knowing, do you have to get through every lesson in this program? Is it a priority? Can you spend more time on it? 
Um, is there something that d is not focusing on the priority standards? Can you maybe, you know, get rid of it and do something else? It's just hard. I think it's because everybody wants to stick to the F, you know, the F bomb, fidelity. Yeah, fidelity. And that that's a good question. So Maureen, how let's talk a little bit about the word fidelity to the big the it's the big F word in that's education. Right. <laughs> F word, fidelity. And teachers are told if you remember in reading first, fidelity to the core, right? Or program, is it fidelity to the core? Is or is it staying true to your understanding of what should be taught? So could you maybe explain a little bit about that? So fidelity, you know, in in the strictest term, there are schools where they have like almost like the fidelity police. You know, you have to be on the same page and there's, there's pacing, pacing guides. And if we think about know, know whom you're stuffing and stuff them elegantly, not everybody can be stuffed at the same time in the same way. Right. So. What does fidelity mean? Oh, um, you know, fidelity, I would say, is based on your content knowledge, knowing your stuff and knowing how to teach the stuff that you're supposed to teach and knowing your students. So if I have students who um, don't need they or. I wouldn't spend a week with with kids that came in and on a pretest already know the stuff because that's a recipe for disaster in terms of behavior. Mm -hmm. It's just normal. No normal kid would sit there for five days listening to stuff that they already knew how to do. They, they get in, they're, they're normal kids. Um, and if I, I, I am dead set against Judy, you're right in front of me. I'm going to pick on you again. You know, Judy needs to take a drink. Go ahead, babe. Judy needs more time. Don't choke. Judy needs more time. So I don't, I'm not, if the pacing guide and the program says, keep on rolling, keep on rolling, keep on rolling. I'm not going to leave Judy behind. I, 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 so fidelity. Who right now was saying, keep on rolling, 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 keep on rolling. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Okay. Because if I stop with, you know, wait, can you say it louder for the people in the back? Yes, I don't think that I would ever do that because nobody would want anybody to do that to their own child. So why would I do it to somebody else? Okay. And and so then when I'll give you an example, and this comes from um, work um, that was supported by Marie Alcock, who uh, publishes with Heidi Hayes Jacobs. And, you know, she's she's around and she's a brilliant woman. And when I had brought her in and I worked with her in my district, um, when we created our curriculum, we created it. This is going to be mind-blowing. Where at the end of each curriculum unit, or we'll call it module, we left between three and five days that were not accounted for. Okay, so what happens in those? And we mapped everything out so that we could get through what we had to get through for the year. And in that three to five days, depending upon what it was, that was time for extra work for Judy. And that was time for Faith, who got really interested in those Greek gods, to do a scaffolded independent 
project during that time. Um, exactly. Okay. And I, yes. Oh my God. But that's, that, that makes a lot of sense. But then people are worried that they're not going to get through these programs. They're not going to cover everything. But you don't need to get through the program. You need to go, you need to work with your curriculum. But be, so, it. so now you have, so now you have the tail wagging the dog. Okay. You have the program. That's the expression that, that's what I wanted to say. So I, does every district have their own curriculum or does every school building have their own curriculum? How does that work, Maureen? So in a district, okay, depends on the district. In a district, you would have, a, a, you know, like a, a K-5 curriculum, uh, depending upon what your what your alignment is. Um, so if I had a district, if I, in the district, I had five elementary schools, they wouldn't all have their own curriculum. It would be a district curriculum. You know, and then so should we all be knocking down the doors of the district saying, hey, and it'd be, it'll be an interesting question. Interesting question. Of course, you want to keep working, but you could always work in Connecticut. We, you know, we need you. Um, it would be to go in and say, you know, could I have a copy of the curriculum document for ELA for um, K3? And there very well might be one, right? Yeah, but then you have to look at it. We should all be looking. Listen, summer's coming up. I, I've seen some. Hey, summer's something. coming up. I could read curriculum documents on the beach. Yeah, I'm going to give you a book to read on the beach. I can't wait. I want to so, meet so, you in person, Maureen. Yeah. So here's what we don't. We didn't talk about the other the other um, principles in this document. So we talked about setting specific reading standards for teacher prep programs. Okay. So that there's so that that should be systematized and operationalized so that we know what do, what do teachers need to know and so how will we know they know it and that has to do with teacher licensure tests and whatnot and then what are we going to do to make sure they get it the next one is to review teacher prep programs to ensure that they teach the um, science of reading so that's let's like auditing their um their who curriculum documents who does well that? that's a great question uh, who does that you know that's a that what that's I mean that's an that's an that's a black hole for me, but I will tell a you black that, hole. Wait, yes. Faith, you're gonna have to put that in one of you know how the other podcasts put little quotes inside? That has to go inside. <laughs> it's the, the great abyss. Hole. But I will tell you that in my state, they're working on uh on doing on a plan to do that because they want to make sure that you know that the teacher prep programs are supported and that um, they can have some assurance that teacher it's preparation a, programs are teaching the science of reading. Is it harder to do it if a school's a public university versus a private? Um, I would say, depending upon the state, like in Connecticut, doesn't make any difference whether you're a private university or a public university. State certification is state certification. Okay, good. Okay. And then, and then, you know, after that, if you, if you know what you're, this is the same thing. I've been saying the same thing over and over again. It's the same thing as, as curriculum. You need to know what, what it is you, you, you're going to teach to the students. Then you need to make sure that it has all the science of reading principles in it. And then you need to know, you need to look at your licensure test because some of them have been around for a long time and looking at the licensure test and see if it, if it really tells you if the graduates 
have what you said was so important that they need. And wow. then and then the next step in this document is about um requiring districts to select high quality reading curriculum and I think we need to back the bus up and define define what high quality reading curriculum and I say and these this needs to be say programs because that require that the, in the document it says require districts to select high quality reading curriculum. That's I would say it should say require districts to select high quality reading programs that, that they can that they can use in their curriculum. Thank you. Do you know I have this article printed out? I'm not kidding you, Maureen. I I promise you. You know me well enough. I have that written down, high quality question mark, I swear, yeah. in my notes, program versus curriculum, yeah. right over here. I was thinking the, exactly the same way. Great minds, great minds. I guess, because I, I feel like left out. Well, you know. already have a great mind. You have a wonderful mind. The point is. Where do you have the not, data to support that fact? <laughs> This did not make any sense to me. Yeah, it did not make any sense to me. I'm thinking, okay, um, who makes these decisions, and what are we talking about? Are we well, talking you're using the W quality reading materials programs? Because it says high quality reading curriculum. What are you talking about? It doesn't make sense. Again, this is being used interchangeably. And there are these misunderstandings that don't, I, I don't understand. What and, and some people would say, oh, you're splitting hairs, but we're not splitting hairs because yeah. if, because if a curriculum and a program were the same thing, we wouldn't have two different words. And I did my teacher prep in the 1800s and they taught us the difference between, <laughs> you know, they taught us the difference between uh, the, the word curriculum and the word program. I mean, I remember it. It was a it was a test question or something. The other the the, the next part, it, the last one is providing professional learning and ongoing to support to and what it says is to sustain the implementation of the science of reading. Now, I'm going to throw something else in. I'm uh, you may you know you know you know everything about what's going on in the reading world, but I'm just going to bring this up. Things change. They okay. sure we, do. We, we we get new we get new research evidence. We yeah. are always evolving, and so one of the problems I see is that people think that once you know something, that it stays that way forever and ever. Well, the people that thought the world was flat, like that's right. So that's really funny. Now I'm having Maureen. I I'm sorry to interject, but I'm having a a a really. I don't know what kind of moment, but I'm having a moment. I So while you guys were talking about what you guys agreed upon, I texted myself. Do you guys ever text yourself? I never answer back, though. Mine did. <laughs> so I had it two times. While you guys were talking, I wrote, are the standards aligned to research and do they shift as new research comes in? So that. Ah, ah so listen to this. So up until about 2017, 2018, and you'll remember this faith from reading first, um, we were teaching an exorbitant amount of phonological awareness, mm -hmm. okay? And re convergent research <laughs> is, that came out in 
before COVID and is now it when people do research, it takes a it takes a while before it hits, you know, the user. And when it gets published in journals, like there aren't a lot of us in schools that are sitting around reading research journals. Okay, oh, now teachers are seeing and hearing about it, right, Faith? Right. So okay. now, so now, you know, we have the the work of uh, like that Susan Brady has done and uh, some other res- like other re- many other researchers talking about the fact that we need and this was this was in the um national reading panel I was um, just report as well was part of the it national was there reading. it was there yes. that we should be we should be linking you know sounds with letters mm-hmm. and we're spending so much time in some programs and in some schools on phonological awareness which because it's fun right it's fun um and and we're not linking it to letters. And so those kids, it, it's really hurting more the kids who are at risk. Because That's when you're strange. taking up all that time that doesn't need to be spent, because now the research is telling us that we we found yeah. out that doesn't mean that we were bad people. It doesn't mean that we were ignorant. It doesn't mean that we were doing harm to children. We were doing the best that we could. Given so basically the is what you're saying, Maureen, that if you had a curricular tool that you should go into that tool and based on the research, update it. So like if you're using a program, like I don't want to name names, but like Hegarty, you now know you don't have to (laughs) go deep into every skill. Like today I interjected when I saw a teacher doing it. I did a voiceover and I said, you know, this is a high leverage skill. You want to make sure you really do this one, the one that connects with letters, because now they have an addition that says like you, 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 Write the letters and make the sounds with the kids. Shh, uh, shut. I was like, that one's really important. But then there was another one. And I'm like, wait, this is addition two and this shit is still in it. (laughs) So how do you really feel about that, Judy? I actually really like it, but I've I've been following the research and having the confidence because now I I know so much more than I did years back to say, you know what? Time is a prime, you know, we don't have a lot of time. Let's get to the application. So let me pull you back to the previous discussion. So if we had a curriculum and the curriculum said, do 10 pounds of phonological awareness without letters, uh, we can now change the curriculum. Okay. And we don't have to throw the materials that cost us like a bazillion dollars out. So is we that changed like, don't the cur- out the baby with the bathwater. Bath All right. So we we changed the curriculum and then we make sure that our tools that we're using are aligned to what we know sh- we should teach. This is an amazing episode. So Faith, I have to say, and I'm not trying to kiss up to Maureen. <laughs> this is my favorite episode yet. This episode, I feel like is such a learning opportunity. Maureen, I want to kiss you. Well, <laughs> I'll just drive down 95. Cool. I don't drive on I, highways. I, I, just bring up. I don't know how to drive on highways. I take the side streets. You take the train. <laughs> I don't know. So, Maureen, one last point. Before we recorded, you said the biggest problem occurs with the universities. Could you elaborate now? You did not really talk about that while we were recording about, you said, where the problem. Remember you were talking about. Yeah, so I, so I think 
you know, having gone to a teacher preparation program, I wasn't prepared to teach. I, I, I got into a classroom and I will, I will just share this. Um, you know, I'm pretty tall person. You can't tell from me here, but like I'm five, nine. And at the time I used to wear heels. I was, you know, younger and stylish or I thought I was. And I, my first teaching assignment was uh, in a public school was a first grade teacher. And they, it was the first day of class and they were all cutest little things. They're all sitting on the rug and they're like, you know, timid, you know, first day, that only lasted like one day, but they were, they were sitting there and I, I looked out at them and this sense of terror overcame me because I went, holy, what Judy says, um, these are real people's kids. <laughs> and and I'm these are real children, and I'm supposed to teach them how to read. Mm-hmm. And I haven't got a clue. Now remember, I went into teaching <clears throat> because my son wasn't learning how to read. And I was told, like, some kids don't learn how to read, you know, like seriously. And so I decided that I needed to leave my practice and become a teacher to save him. And so so I had this, I I talked about this once at the Connecticut State Legislature, because I, before I went to teacher prep and got a master's on top of it, I, I would consider myself at that time a teacher basher, because I was sure that those teachers just didn't care, because like if they cared, they would just teach my kid how to read, right? They wouldn't be saying all these things. And that moment, standing in front of those children on my first day. I said to myself, it's a good thing I talk fast in my head, right? I said, oh, my God, I'm one of them. I'm just a nice person who wants to do well by kids, and I haven't got a clue. Mm -hmm. But what I think, because I was older Mm -hmm. and because I had a son who had, you know, who, who wasn't learning to read, that I was able at that point in time to do something that maybe maybe people feel it in some way, they feel uncomfortable or they're young. I knew I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And I also knew that I had to do something about it. And I also had the wherewithal to do something about it because I went and made friends with the people at Haskins Laboratories. I met Ken Pugh and I met um, Ann Fowler, and I met Al Liberman, and I met Don Chang, all the, like, like, it, it, like a museum of these, like, greats, right? And I learned, and then I went back, and I got a PhD. So, I think that the universities, I don't think there are bad people at universities. I think that, that there's, um, there are such a variety of people who have, philosophies of reading and they believe they're doing the right thing Uh like if they're teaching um some of the strategies and assessments from say the units of study and and they're true believers that that's the way to go and they 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 believe that the queuing systems are the way to go like they also interpret academic freedom as meaning I can teach what I want. And that's not what academic freedom is. Academic freedom means that you can teach how you want, 
but not what you want, right? So I think that that the university system for preparing teachers is um, pivotal, and it can when it needs to be. It, that's why these um, standards that are in here, or you know, these points are so important because it talks about set specific detailed reading standards for teacher prep. Right now, we don't have that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, right now we don't have, because you asked the question, we're not reviewing teacher prep programs to ensure that they teach the science of reading in a universal way. And so what we, what we essentially have is what I would call, and not to be disrespectful, but this hodgepodge mm -hmm. of people who are highly educated and believe in what they're doing. And it's, largely unregulated well that's i think this is what i wanted you to bring out here that we have these wonderful recommendations but how do we keep people accountable and who is responsible for keeping people accountable you know, it it goes deeper than just making a list and saying okay pick one Right. Right. So who's accountable? So the only it's, um, you know, our university is going to be able to police this. Some can, some probably will be able to do it if they decide they want to do it. And uh, and others, I don't know. But you asked the question earlier, Judy, it all comes down to teacher certification. And so we need to you know, and I don't want to sound like Pollyanna here, but we need to rely with maybe some support and nudging and, you know, uh, lobbying, whatever. We need to rely on the state departments of education who are responsible for certifying teachers in their state to um, think very carefully about this document that just came out and what their role is in setting specific detailed reading standards for teacher prep programs, reviewing teacher prep programs to ensure that they are teaching, uh, that they have the science of reading in their syllabi and their materials. Somebody at the university, because the state can't uh, like go in and see if it's really being implemented, at the university's department chairs or um, program directors are going to have to be responsible for that, and I'm, and I, I can say we've, we've just, we've just started really robustly addressing this. As you know, universities de uh, highly depend on adjuncts to teach courses, and you know what? Some of the some great teachers are are some of the greatest teachers are adjuncts mm -hmm. are actually in the classrooms and they see what's going on. However, we can't just it's like a sub. Yeah, it's just a body in the room. Like you just can't pull people in and ask them to adjunct without orienting them to the program, without providing them with the, we're talking about teacher PD. Well, we have to support our adjuncts. We have to make sure that they understand the, the syllabus and what the expectations are, what the assessments are. And we have to support them and we have to get feedback from them and give them feedback. And this takes, this takes intentional dedication um, and time, and it will reap uh, tremendous benefits. We just, uh, we have a program director um, in our university 
who has taken this on and is uh, is doing a masterful job. And that's in one department. And we're hoping to be able to um, write about this um, to let people know what we're doing and to do it in other departments. But it's there's no free lunch. We have to work at this. I think that's a good place to end and wrap I up. I think that's interesting. The only thing I think we also need to see more of is the bridge between researchers and practice. Um, my area of passion, and I know yours is as well, Faith, is, you know, now we're talking to researchers mm -hmm. and we're trying to make sure that that research gets into those classrooms quicker. And I think that's another piece that's really critical. How do we make sure that research gets into the classrooms quicker and more efficiently? Yeah. Because I think that there hasn't been enough of that bridge to practice. There has a, there's not a pipeline because, because, right. and, and part of that is um, because in the, in, in the academy, as we call ourselves, there's the, you know, you hold, heard the old publisher parish kind of thing, you know, you need to publish and you need to publish in peer reviewed journals and, right. you know, like who's reading the peer reviewed journals. That's what I want to <laughs> know. Like not teachers, mm -hmm. not parents. And so tongue in cheek, I was asked once when I was in my doctoral program in a class, I thought the, I thought the professor was going to slap me across the head because he was asking us where, you know, where did we want to publish? And there were, you know, I, I was a, you know, second career. So I was an older student and there were these lovely, you know, young twenties people and they're talking about, you know, the journal of gobbledygook and, you know, all these esoteric kind of, well, that's my term. They're not really esoteric, but journals. And they came around to me and I said, yeah, like Family Circle, Parents Magazine, <laughs> and 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 he looked. I don't even know if Family Circle is still published, but um, that's telling how old I am. And so he looked at me like I'm going to kill you, you know. And and I said, no, seriously. I said, if I'm doing work in reading, I want people to read it. I want it to be in Useful. in pediatricians' offices, and I want it to be on. Like when people are checking out the grocery store, you know, some because I want those people to read it. I wasn't being a, a wise guy. Mm -hmm. I was being serious. And so, and so understand that this research to practice issue, part of it is that in order to keep your job and to become tenured, which is not like in K-12, where mm -hmm. if you if you last long enough, you get tenured just because you lasted. Um and, you know, I'm just, that's how it is. Right. Yes. And, but in higher ed, you, the, um, the evaluation system in higher ed is much more rigorous mm -hmm. than it was in K-12 for me. I've been, never been looked at the way I, when I'm in, as I have been in higher ed and okay. you have to, and you have to publish in these peer reviewed journals. Those are not the journals that the end user that we need to, to target reading mm -hmm. so so i so i can tell you that in um in my department we brought this up and we said we need to stand up for ourselves to help the powers that be understand that you know not all of the journals that will help disseminate the information that that we produce and that we evaluate are going to be peer-reviewed journals 
we respect the I, the concept of you know publishing in peer reviewed journals, but we have to figure out how we can also give credit to professors for work that they do that is in a practitioner journal that is not peer reviewed. But and that's so we're working. changing a mindset. That's a that's a major shift in in terms of thinking. And I agree with you. I respect you guys reaching out to you know the big people in terms of producing high quality research and inviting them and you know, and they come right they come because they value what you're doing like I do because you're trying to to bring the truth and to bring the latest information to the end user, to the teachers that tune in and listen to you like I do in my car and, uh-huh. and, um, and to parents, because I, I share with parents that I work with your, uh, and I think other people do too. And so the fact that you get these amazing people to come on the literacy view tells you that they value the opportunity to share their knowledge, you know, and, and understand that I think most of the people that you've had on, if, if they could keep their jobs and, and publish in parents magazine that where it would might be read by hundreds of thousands of people in a doctor's office that they, they would do that. Yeah. I I agree with you. I, I think we really need to think about what we value and the practical nature of the work because they're doing such important work and yet it's being lost and it's it's really a shame. And that brings us back to, to close with what Judy said about urgency. And I think that what the problems that we're facing in terms of educating our teachers as well as educating our students is urgent. But when something is urgent, we don't jump into the fire, okay, and get burned. And I think that when we when we try to roll things out too quickly, mm-hmm. it's not always the greatest thing. And we're not, you know, by by being judicious and being intentional and planful and gathering the evidence that will support the decisions that we make down down the line. At the same time, and you talked about, you know, flying, building the plane while you're flying it, we still need to be taking care of all of the, all the children that have needs, but that to to take care of them, we don't just get something new and give it to them when we don't know when the per it would be like buying vaccine and giving it to a pharmacist and having a technician who never was trained in injecting, start injecting people Mm -hmm. like, like, it, it doesn't make any sense to yeah. me, but I appreciate you inviting me back. And Judy, I will have to drive down to see you since you're not going to drive it up to see me. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> hey, excellent. Faith, come, come see me too. I but, will. I will. We'll, we'll have a date. We will. All right. So thank you so much. I am honored again to thank be you. with you ladies. And, thank you. Uh, we, we, we're honored that you joined us. And I, I think this was a great, Valentine's Day special, and uh, we love our audience, and uh, thank you. 
You're welcome. And Judy, I'm going to send you your reading assignment. Okay. I can't wait. I love assignments. Okay. I just spoke to my nutritionist before this call and she gave me an assignment. So this is going to be my second assignment within the last two hours. Good. And you will eat up this book and it's no calories. Okay. I love that. Even better. So I guess we're wrapping up. Follow us on Facebook, the Literacy View, Real Teachers Letting Loose. Join our group, share it with friends. And when we post articles and videos, please, 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 the biggest compliment is when you reshare it. Follow us also. We're on Instagram now. Yay, Judy learned how to use Instagram. <laughs> Literacy View. Follow us on Twitter. My dearest Faith is there. She's at High Five Literacy at Faith Borkowski. Follow me at Boxner Judy. And where else, Faith? YouTube. Yeah, YouTube. And, and YouTube. Our subscribers are growing. Subscribe to us there. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Buzzsprout, Spotify. And also coming soon. Stay tuned. Faith and Judy will finally have a Literacy View website. Yay. Yay. Awesome. Awesome. All right, everyone. Thank you so much and good night. Good night.